0: Lossy here with a Shop Talk conversation. So good we're getting three whole episodes out of it. Or maybe we're just talking too much while we're stuck at home. But either way, you're definitely going to want to check out these episodes. William Shakespeare was undoubtedly one of history's greatest playwrights, which is why there is still so much to say about his works 400 years later. Over the next three episodes, our panel of experts talk about their experiences with the Bard from their first introductions to directing and performing his works, and they discuss why the works of William Shakespeare continue to resonate today. Whether you are a Shakespearean fan or not, you are definitely gonna to wanna to check out all three of these upcoming episodes. Joining Drama Shop artistic director, Zach Flock, who got his directing start with Gannon University Shakespeare Summer Nights are Jessica Flock, Drama Shop board member and English aficionado, who has edited several of Shakespeare's plays for performance as well as directing and acting in several productions of Shakespeare's works. Elena Manchester, creative team member and director of visual and performing arts at Gannon University, who has literally performed Shakespeare across the country and around the world, and drum shop director Emeritus Reverend Sean Clerken, who founded Gannon's Shakespeare Summer Nights and trained abroad with some very well-known Shakespearean actors. Warning, name drops are ahead. As with all of our recent episodes, we're recording remotely, so please forgive any audio issues and be sure to check back for parts two and three of this entertainment informative and, let's say, wide-reaching conversation.
1: Let me not say who should go first, and you can just jump in and it'll be chaos. Because it's chaos right now.
0: My name
2: is Elena Manchester. Oh, God.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sean is chewing, so I'll say uh, I'm Jessica Flock.
4: And I'm Sean Clerkin, and I'm an independent theater director uh, here in Erie, Pennsylvania, who had these, the great opportunity many, many years ago to study Shakespeare with well, somebody named Anthony Hopkins and some of his friends. So I had, uh, that's my, that's my name drop.
1: That's it. Um, I'm curious as to uh, when y'all were first introduced to Shakespeare and how you, uh, how you felt about him.
3: Unless I'm mistaken, we all probably were first instructed and talked through reading Shakespeare in like ninth grade. We start with Romeo Mm -hmm. and Juliet typically, and then you move to Macbeth in 10th and then, and then there's 11th and 12th, and so I forget what those ones are. I feel yeah, like is. it was Caesar. Oh, yeah, Caesar was, yeah.
4: Yeah, we did yeah. we did Caesar in ninth grade, Romeo and Juliet in 10th grade, Macbeth in 11th grade, and then Ethlyn Grabener, who taught English for senior, Ethlyn Grabener. She had us read both Midsummer Night's Dream and Hamlet. Ooh,
3: That's right, That's, that Hamlet. is the progression. That's the same progression that, uh, we had in Ohio, that's
4: right. But I have to say my first exposure was in fourth grade because I was in the accelerated gifted program in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, so we were doing a staged version of Julius Caesar and I got cast as the messenger. And of course I, I practiced at home and everything. So I came in for my first very big entrance and I marched on stage and I slapped my side and I threw my hand up in some kind of Nazi salute and said, you're uh, <laughs> it, it hails Caesar. And um, and the um, director said, Sean, could you, I'm sorry, could you just walk on stage and say the line? And uh, pretty much that was the beginning of, that's the note I have gotten from every single director for the last 50, 50 years.
2: Do less. <laughs> Sean, could you less. not? Don't so add.
1: <laughs> when you guys, I know when I first encountered Shakespeare in high school, you know, I, I was one of the better kids in the English class, but I didn't like it. You know, I think I understood it. But at the time, I was like, yeah, this is dumb. Like, I don't well, get it.
3: I need to jump on this one, because this is where I get annoyed with our education
1: system. With me speaking.
3: And this Yeah, and my <laughs> husband. Um, but this is why I think a lot of people have hangups about Shakespeare, because oh, so much of your opinion about it Is going to be formed by the instructor that you have when you first encounter it. So if the teacher doesn't really like the Shakespeare unit and doesn't really try to make the language accessible and invite you into this world and like and show you the ways that, you know, Shakespeare's not perfect, and we kind of have him up on this pedestal in our heads, but if you if you take him down suddenly, it's kind of like, oh, I don't need to understand absolutely every single word when I'm reading this play at 14, but my teacher's given me enough tools that I can kind of suss out what's going on in a particular scene. But I've had I've had great Shakespearean teachers up through grad school and I've had horrible ones. And the horrible ones really it's so easy to sink that ship early on. And then people are just like, I don't like Shakespeare, I don't like watching it, I don't want to perform it. And I like trying to find those people and be like, okay, but <laughs> just give me a chance to explain some things and I think you might like it better. Uh, but that's where I get very annoyed of coming from a, an English uh, text kind of perspective.
1: So were you a fan from the beginning then, Jess, like when you were in ninth grade and read Shakespeare for the first time, were you like, yes, I love this or.
3: Um, I'm going to, I mean, just in terms of the show, I'm not a big fan of Julius Caesar. I liked it in terms of, I liked the writing uh, the teacher didn't really do all that much. He didn't usually teach this the honors course. It was his last year; he was retiring, and it was like he didn't care about the unit. So, I the only way I liked it was um, that feeling of superiority when I could understand it, and the other kids were like, "What the hell is going on?" Um, and then I've always um, really hated Romeo and Juliet. So it wasn't until eleventh grade that I was like, "Yeah, this is my jam."
2: And i am good at this
1: and that I was want to keep learning
2: about it that was Macbeth.
1: what about you elena
2: i don't really remember um i i don't like julius caesar i mean not i don't think i don't think many of them passed like a bechdel test but that one in particular i just I don't <laughs> think problematic. It really interested me at all um I do remember, uh, I think my first honest exposure to it like beyond just in cartoons and stuff was like uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. That was, I want to say like 97 or 96. or 96. 95. 96, hey! Yep. I had the CD and I would listen to it constantly. Maybe it was a cassette. I loved the music. And then and I remember like the scene where Mercutio is in drag at the party. And I was like, I like whatever this is. This is fun. Um, I was not I allowed could, to watch that. Yeah. Oh, I probably wasn't, but I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at my friend's house where they could like, they could like drink and smoke cigarettes. And I was like, let's watch Oz Lorman videos.
1: <laughs> I remember <laughs> was actually rebellion. going to see that in the movie theater with a group of theater friends. And it was a totally empty theater. I, if it was 96, then I was, I was uh, 13. Like eighth
2: grade, ninth grade.
1: 13-ish, yeah. And so a group of us went to see it. By group, I think there were like maybe five of us. And literally, I don't think anyone else was in the theater. Because it had also <laughs> been out for a little while too. And, um, and I, that was the first time I think that I, and that would have been before I read Shakespeare in high school. But I saw Shakespeare and I understood it. And a lot of that was yeah. because of the visual language of a Baz Luhrmann film. And it, I was also already kind of a fan of his from Strictly Ballroom, which is another movie that probably five people have oh, seen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, love it. My
4: longtime time favorite, I saw the stage version in London last spring. It was so, That's so right,
1: amazing. there's a stage version now, yeah. Stage. yeah. I feel
3: like the only theater person in the world that doesn't like Baz Luhrmann, it's me. Oh! Yeah. No, I agree with
4: you. I think he's loud. He's just too, he's he's loud for me.
3: Yeah, the visual language is always, it's yelling. (laughs) He does nothing is subtle.
1: But as a 13-year-old who was convinced that Shakespeare had to be done a certain way, it was this like eye-opening, you know, kind of experience for me. And then I think what made me kind of step back was then reading Shakespeare in my high school English courses. And you know, we did the whole like go around the room and you take turns reading and it's tedious, right? And it just, I think that's a bad way to introduce people. And for so many people who weren't one of the five of us who saw that movie, that was the introduction to Shakespeare. And so I think right off the bat, like you said, Jess, if it's not taught in an exciting, interesting way, it's real easy to lose all of us really quickly.
4: You know, it's unfortunate that that I always say, and and this is this is mirroring some of the things we heard during, um, oh gosh, throughout throughout my life, is that so much of uh, Shakespeare has been um, commandeered, well and rightly so, by English departments, and they really do look at it and teach it from from a literary perspective, and that's and it's wonderful literature. It's it's fascinating poetry. It's extraordinary balance. It's got these great flights of fancy and deep deep inner. Inner uh, explorations for these characters to go through, but it's also never was never intended to be read. It was always intended to be seen live on stage in front of you. And so, so part of part of my experience always was how do I even as even in ninth grade when I was you know, reading it in those English classes as as well. I I kept thinking of you know, and and maybe that was the early director in me, but what would this look like if it was in front of me? What would this look like on film? What would this look like on stage? And so, so I always, I always translated the the page to the stage constantly. And, um, and I think that's probably the most important things about, about engaging in, in texts that are dramatic texts. We can, we can and appreciate the literary value of them, but that was never their intention. A playwright is just one collaborator in the total theater experience, and Shakespeare knew that better than anybody. He was an actor first. Uh, he was a, a producer. He was. Uh, he was then a playwright. Uh, he was an actor, actor manager, actor director. So he was coaching other actors. He was mentoring other actors as well. So, so he really understood the, the actually the business of it. That it needed to be entertaining, and it needed to be a, a healthy entertaining. There had to be fart jokes, and as well as, mm-hmm. uh, as well as discourses on on the nature of existence. I mean, he, and they had to live right side by side because you had the wealthy sitting there paying their. 10 pence to watch the play and you had your whores down there selling their apples and oranges in front of this right in front of the stage so so it, it was it really was a, a a total community total experience but it was live it was supposed to be in front of you
3: and that's why um i think a lot of times i mean uh, one of the things that i do primarily with shakespeare is uh, i do i now i've done several edits and the first pass of an edit of a Shakespeare show is always easy because there's a lot of repetition built in because there had to be, because as Sean just mentioned, you know, there was a lot of things happening. It wasn't a quiet theater. It was uh, noisy. And, you know, some of the shows are very body and they, you know, they won't hesitate to make the the, uh, the penis joke more than once. Um, and, and that's, that's the part of Shakespeare that I don't think anybody really unlocks for high school kids, which is when you start learning it. And not that they need to point out every inappropriate reference to the children, but I don't remember any teacher explaining that to me. And it wasn't until I started doing theater at age 16 and I didn't do anything. I didn't do Shakespeare until I was a freshman in college. I did a very bad production of Midsummer Night's Dream. It was horrible. And I played Moth. I had one line and it was hail and it was a nightmare. <laughs> but yeah, nobody really talks about the performative aspect at first. They they want you to read on the page and you're looking at it on the page like it's Canberry Tales. Like you don't know it's modern English. You don't know that you can break things apart and that yes, I Am a Pentameter is a thing that will be introduced as you study it, but it's not the be all end all of just comprehension at the basic level. Um, and I really don't feel like I got anybody that talked to me about that until I was in college in an English program. Mm-hmm. And that for me is what made me understand the performative aspect. And of all the adaptations to have seen, now we talked about Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, of all the possible things they could have shown us for whatever reason when they did Hamlet, in uh, senior year, the version we watched was the Mel Gibson one. Oh, yeah. I honestly think my teacher had the hots for Mel Gibson. Oh.
1: And I that- <laughs> did too. She had a poster from the movie in the back of her classroom.
3: And he's was blonde? Oh, so bad. I don't and know, it was line... in the back of the
1: classroom. It was for her to look at, not the class.
3: <laughs> 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 that, that line where he's like, what are you reading? And the answer, Ham- Hamlet's answer is words, words, words. And obviously there's a million different ways to play that. But Mel you know, Gibson is literally like, words, words, words.
0: And, and then he so throws a book.
2: He threw bad. a book at that point. Yeah. He was sitting oh on a bookshelf for no
3: reason. He thinks he's playing puck for, like, half of that movie, and it's just
2: wretched. Except for when he's making out with his mom. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. That's why, that's why like, just,
3: Jesus, there's got to be a lot. Li- there's, there's performances of, a, like, a live, like, staged version that somebody just filmed well. Yeah, but Play, show but
4: that. Nothing about that film was a surprise. It was a Mel Gibson version of Hamlet. They 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 played to his limited strengths, and so so that's the version. I mean, if that's if that's if that's who you cast, and that's that's what you get. You know what I mean? And within that context, you know, yeah. and, and The other side of it with Branagh's Hamlet, which was so long and yeah. so exhaustive. And, um, and so that, that every single syllable of every single word seemed like the most important syllable of the entire four and a half hour play.
1: I, I agree so much with what Jess said about and Sean about the performative aspect that, you know, until you experience that, I don't think you truly do experience it. I mean, it, essentially, Shakespeare was doing then what TV writers do today, right? That he was writing for, a sort of mass appeal audience and he was writing works to put on their feet he wasn't writing something to sit on a bookshelf and so i think until you see it and, and experience it on its feet as an audience member or as a performer it doesn't fully unlock at least it didn't for me yeah. i know the first show i worked on at ganon was much ado about nothing um, which sean you directed um, and I think it was, it was either in the round or in, um, I think quarter, my, it
4: was a three quarter, yeah.
1: Three quarter, yeah, yeah. And, and just even that setup kind of showed me like, okay, there's a different way of doing things. Throw out what you think you know about theater and approach it from a new perspective. And being in the room and hearing those actors talk to each other and deliver the lines and, and see it on its feet is so different than that experience of having everyone in your 10th grade English class go around the room and take turns reading Portia, you know, it, it really is a a different way. And so I feel like I, I wasn't properly introduced until um, working on that production at Gannon and then didn't fully get it in terms of appreciate it until I acted in it, which was, I think after my senior year, when I played Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream*. I think I until never, you do it. it
4: Joey Mendesina was in that production. He played um, played uh, ben, uh, not Benedict the other the other love interest, Claudio.
1: Mm.
4: Yeah. And uh, and oh my gosh and and he he was was really instinctive and he did this gorgeous scene. And then after and we were all in tears and he turned to me and he looked at me and, and said, "I have no idea what the hell I just said." <laughs> I'm like,
3: "But you said it <laughs> yeah. perfectly." It just you That's,
4: know, sometimes oh. it's. Just,
3: that makes me want to climb the wall, though. Like, sometimes they nail it, you know? Sometimes they don't really understand what the words are. But, and they, but it's still, it's a beautiful performance, and you can't argue with it. But nothing, like, makes me want to crawl out of my skin as much as people who are not not rehearsing. Like, rehearsing is for making mistakes and figuring things out. But once you're at the point where, like, you're off book and you're performing with one another because now I've had a chance to direct a couple of these shows. I've had this happen, and I call them on it. I cannot stand listening to an actor deliver lines and words that they have absolutely no idea what they mean. Because we have Google. Like, we have access to tools. I'm accessible as a director in terms of, like, if you're confused about a scene, talk to me. But it's like, would would you stand up and just start reciting stuff in, like, Polish? Just because like the letters look familiar and you can probably sound them out. Would you try to act that? No, because you're not a lunatic. So why do you think you can get away with this? If you don't know what you're talking about, nobody knows what you're talking about. It's so aggravating
2: to me. It just makes me nuts. I think kind of why actors can do it and not know what's being said sometimes is because Shakespeare wrote it exact very often he wrote what you should emphasize and where you should walk and what you should do he wrote it all all the stage directions are embedded in there and if mm-hmm. you just happen to fall into scansion uh, you know you'll be fine you'll be decently fine yeah and if you, you have a good nice. edit
3: too like a good edit yeah. will absolutely let you get away with that kind of crap because if you it's been pared it down and yeah.
2: yeah if you keep well, it be- active and.
4: And don't you find that you you have to have the same approach to Shakespeare that you do anything? I think what happens
2: sometimes- I don't though. Yeah, tell me. Sorry to contradict you. Um, So when I, when I as an actor do Shakespeare, I'm very external. I have to go through and mark my vocals first, um, ignoring the punctuation often. And then, um, and that's the first thing that I do. Whereas if I'm and I don't look. I mean, I look at overarching, like super objective, but not so much like, "What is my action here?" or "What is my tactic?" and that kind of thing. Yes. I go very external first, you know. Yeah,
4: yeah, and, and I didn't, they, I, let me let me let me edit that because you know, what I mean is you 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 do a, you have an approach though. A lot of students will, or a lot of young actors yeah. or community actors, community actors will approach it the same way that they do their. They're Hello dollies ah. and stuff like that. And, it, and, it, and, it, and you do yeah. have to give it its time, but you do have to give it its time. You know what I mean? Acting is, like you just said, it's, and, like, and you're right, Shakespeare never, he didn't write subtext. He didn't even know what subtext was. Characters thought as they spoke. That was, so, and they didn't think anything they didn't say out loud. So it's, it's really important yeah. that that's part of that's part of the style as well.
2: Well, I think uh, it's, it's craft, right? And I think that you can like throw wet spaghetti at the wall. With a lot of things, but Shakespeare's not one of them. You have to do the work, and you, um, however you get there, you get there, you know. But yeah, you are right that you just you have to do the work. You would you would never just go to a rehearsal like I'm going to sing this song now. I haven't listened to it, you know. I and a song practiced. tells you I haven't practiced, and a song tells you exactly this note is longer, and this note is shorter, and hurry up to get to this part, and that's what Shakespeare did. It's a song. It's all a song, so you can't, yeah, people don't work. I also,
3: I feel like it warps some things when, uh, when we, when we first started teaching Shakespeare to, uh, high school age kids anywhere in there, we rush to show them sort of the like, the generation, like, we leap a couple hundred years into the future, and we watch, we watch, like, West Side Story. We talk about how that is the retelling of Romeo and Juliet. Like, we, we want to watch those kinds of things, like, Kiss Me, Kate, or 10 Things I Hate About You. Like, those movies are like, oh, well, if I can understand that movie, I can understand the play, which isn't a bad thing. It's actually, if you're having trouble grasping what's actually going on, not the worst place to start, but we, we're so eager to, I, the language is important to me, at least, uh, and I think it's important to get it, you know, right, and obviously I'm coming at this from not, I'm not trained in theater, I've just participated for a long time, um, I'm I, I study English, but you have to understand the words that Shakespeare wrote, And why we're able to take these stories that are now pretty universal and put them and drop them into these new fun settings and get this cool sort of tapestry of works based on what he wrote. But why are we able to do that? I don't think we ask that question enough when we're first kind of learning the concepts.
1: And that's where I wonder if in the example that Sean gave about the actor who, you know, performed a beautiful monologue and then said, I have no idea what the hell I just said, you know, is it that he did at least feel the music of it, you know, that he got the rhythm Mm -hmm. and he got the emotional um, impact through that, through that rhythm, through the music of it, you know, even though there are words that he didn't understand. Plus the other thing I would throw in there too is when you're acting off of other people, if the other people get it, sometimes you might somehow trip into something. And then if I ask you, okay, what did you just say? I don't know, but it sure felt cool, right? Like I think that might be what that moment was.
2: I would rather work with an active actor who doesn't know what the hell they're saying, but at least they're doing than a passive like, Oh, I'm feeling things. Like, I, mean, oh, I don't care. You're not I mean, doing yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. Cares? You'll, oh.
4: Shakespeare or yeah. Sarah Rule, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Give me somebody who actually is doing
2: anything, actually. you know? And that's like kind of like improv, right? So we when we talk about improv rules, it's always that yes and and uh, it's all about reacting, right? But like sometimes the best thing you can do as an improv person is like make a big go, do a bid, make a bid, make a play, a big one. And that you're so much more helpful when you do that than when you just are like, I'm here to help. You're not helping. Like, give me something to play with.
3: That's fine. Yeah, do something. Don't stand there and try to feel. And that's something that I learned from Elena and Sean. And just, I mean, anything I know about directing, I've learned from people smarter than me, which is mostly the group assembled here. But uh, if we get like halfway through the rehearsal process or like slightly more, and I think you don't know what you're saying in a scene and I ask you about it and you can't tell me what you're saying in a scene, but I know because I took the time to look it up because there's spark notes for literally everything. Uh, It's not going to be a good day for you as an actor. Um, I nearly pulled... And Dom, Dom is fully aware of this. Um, Dominic Del Greco played Richard III when I directed that, which was my first Shakespeare directing. Um, and he did a really great job. But there was, uh, the, there's a fairly lengthy monologue that, I, you know, when, when I do edits, I try not to touch the touchstones, like leave them alone. Those moments that people know should be in there, you have to leave them there. So it was the call to war, the call to arms, and the, you know, we're in a fight with the army of dragons, whatever it was. It was a very heightened language kind of call to arms. And he kept screwing it up and he kept uh, missing pieces. And it was really obvious even, I'm not looking at the book at that point. And I told him before final dress rehearsal, the the night after, so second to final, I said, if that isn't perfect, for final dress rehearsal, I'm cutting it because I'd rather cut it and have people be angry uh, that it's not in there than make them sit through three minutes of you stuttering your way through something you don't, you didn't bother to learn. This isn't hard, and you learn the whole rest of the show. And Opening sure
4: enough,
3: no, <laughs> oh, no, no, final, no, final, uh, final dress. He had it no. down. He had it down, Pat. He never screwed it up. Oh
4: my God. Well, You know, and, it's, and it is precarious. Opening night of King Lear, I'll never forget how much I forgot. I came out to do that opening monologue and nothing was there. And I remember just launching, I don't even remember what came out of my mouth, but just everybody down below me was like, El- El- Elmy and Elena were like, is he having a stroke? I think he's having a stroke. I mean, just the things that were coming out of my mouth. And I just kept thinking, I've, I've, I've had trouble with other scenes, but not with that. That one was like one of the first things I learned. And it
3: played well though. I, I forgot mean, like, about I... that
1: until this moment and I instantly felt the horror that I felt in that moment oh, when when your too... King Lear in the very first scene just goes blank. <laughs> and, I, and I know you well <laughs> enough. I think you probably masked it fairly well for the audience, but knowing you as well as I do, Sean, I could see the terror in your eyes of oh, like, we're just getting started. <laughs>
4: Afterwards, somebody else who had played the role in town said, I just love the way that you restructured that whole monologue to demonstrate why he had to give up the throne. And I'm like, Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly what I would that's what we were doing. Oh my yeah.
1: god. Oh my. Kudos is, to Jess is. for that edit, I guess. Yeah.
2: I you know, and I did the
3: edit and I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, he's getting the main points of it. It's fine. <laughs> Nobody in the no one in this audience is like clocking that this is not exactly
1: right. Except for the one guy in the audience Who had played King Lear before (laughs) Other than that I'm sure It was totally fine There's
3: one gentleman who's made it known to me In person that he does not like my edits And that's fine I'd like to see him do a better one Because I saw one of his And it was miserable
1: God it is me isn't it
2: It's Zach.
4: I, I will say editing is hard, and I agree with you. There's a lot of redundancy. Sometimes the redundancy is is integral because of because of the the, the rhythm of it. Sometimes it, it is it is not necessary. Sometimes there are jokes that just don't play. I remember going to see um, um, Great Lake Shakespeare uh, with my father-in-law Alex and Bill Doan, who used to who was uh, my mentor again. And, and we were walking out after the first act and bill said oh you got to cut those lines they just they're not funny anymore they they're just they're archaic they have no they they they, they drag the whole tempo down and this older man with a goatee and leather patches on his sport, his tweed sport coat turned around and he said, you can't cut Shakespeare. If you remove one line, the entire fabric falls. And Bill said, if you told Shakespeare that you liked the fabric of his plays, he would whip out his penis and pee on your shoes. And I love the fact that he said it to this academic (laughs) and he needed to hear it because Shakespeare himself was was appropriating and rewriting constantly, constantly. So yeah. yeah, I think the editing process is absolutely essential.
3: Well, I uh, my my the best compliment I have ever 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 gotten doing these edits um and I've done them for several different directors now but the best compliment I've ever gotten was from you Sean when we did when we did Hamlet and it was like a tight like 90 minute version and you came up to me after final dress and you were like I am so pissed and I was like oh god why <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what did I do? And you were like, I love this show and I cannot figure out what you cut. <laughs> and I was like
4: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Okay, that's kind of the point. That's what I was going for. That's good. That's good. But you scared the shit out of me when you were like oh, yeah. I'm so pissed.
4: No, I remember that. That was an extraordinary edit. That was a great, great i I've always appreciated your edits actually, but that nice. one was that one was pretty special.
0: Our expert panel is just getting started. In part two, the gang will tackle some of the specific Shakespeare productions they've directed. Plus, they'll discuss their different approaches, and they get honest about each other's work. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can get our free and complete library of episodes. Shop Talk, the official Drama Shop podcast, is produced by me, Nicole Lossie, and sponsored by Ghana University Schuster Theatre. As always, thank you for supporting Drama Shop, Theatre in Process.